Amen. Thank you, Danny. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Good to see you. I am uh, greatly humbled and honored to be standing up here with this uh, privilege of sharing God's word with you. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Matt, and my family and I have been attending uh, Redemption Bible Church for uh, a couple years now. And there are a lot of things that we love about RBC, um, including all of you, our church family. You guys have been such a blessing to us. Uh, We also love the authentic worship. We love the kids program. We love the potlucks and the cake when it comes. And on and on we go. The thing we have appreciated most about this church since our very first Sunday, however, was and is the solid biblical teaching. As we continue to attend each week, we noticed a pattern. We knew that each Sunday morning we were going to hear God's word rightly preached with solid biblical instruction and application with the gospel woven throughout the, ser- throughout the service, which was uh, very encouraging to our hearts and still is. And now by God's grace, I hope to provide the same encouragement and hope um, from God's word to all of you this morning. You see, the last few months, uh, Pastor Ryan has been meeting with me and a few guys uh, from the church to grow in our ability to speak and communicate God's word. Uh, the gentleman in this preaching cohort, we call it, very clever, we like it. This preaching cohort, we are exploring the possibility of one day being in pastoral ministry. And one of the books we are studying is in our cohort is a book written by Dr. Lloyd-Jones entitled Preaching and Preachers. And I found this quote by Dr. Jones to encourage my heart when it comes to preaching. He says this, It is preaching alone that can convey the truth to people and to bring them to the realization of their need and to the only satisfaction for their need. The reality of sin and judgment, the remedy being Christ's atoning death, all of us cohort members want to grow in our ability to preach that truth and see how God may use us in his ministry and for his glory. And speaking of ministry, throughout my 20s, I served in a Christian camp ministry and during the off-season, which was you know, September to mid-June, I was the coordinator for the before and after school care program, which was incredibly wonderful, being able to share God's word daily with um, the students that attended um, for 10 months each school year. Uh, but the real fun, however, was to be found in the summer. Summer in Washington State is amazing and warm and beautiful and wonderful. And it is all year round, but something about summer um, that we love. Now, during the summer months, I got to serve in a variety of roles, including the day camp leader, the head counselor, the recreation leader. There, there was one area of camp, however, that I never had the opportunity to lead, and that was on the high ropes course. It, it, it was something about me and ropes and knots and my inability to see how things work mechanically, where they just had me 
stay away, really. And the, it, it was me, really. And I was okay with that, actually. I really just wanted to play anyway. I really just wanted to get up on those elements. And so, and I did. I got to play. I got to go in the giant swing, the vertical playpen, the Lord's steps. But my favorite element was the zip line. How many of you have been on a zip line before? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you probably share my love for zip lines. You all made it down okay, right? But it's kind of exhilarating, kind of a good time, for sure. I remember climbing up to the, uh, the crow's nest, is what they call it, the platform where you get hooked into that little zip thing. Um, I remember doing that for the first time at, at Buck Creek Camp near Mount Rainier, and I was super, super, super excited. And normally not afraid of heights, not afraid of heights. I climbed up the tree, I made it to the platform, and I was about to jump off when I realized this is pretty high. That's a long drop, right? So I freeze. I freeze. My knees begin to shake which I don't, I don't think they're doing that now. Um, I hope not. Uh, but my knees began to shake. I realized how high I was off the ground and how much of a drop that was. And I, I almost sat down. I almost sat down and like scooted off. But if I did that, I would never hear the end of it, right? I would have lost a lot of man points for doing that. So instead, I, I trusted our facilitators. I trusted the equipment that had already proven itself with those that went before me. And I took the leap and off I went. I jumped. Everything was amazing and wonderful. And as you can see, I'm still here too. And I made it. Yes. But as you can see, this wasn't a blind faith. There were tangible things that I could hope in to see me through this activity. There was actually another activity called the trust fall. Has anyone done that before? Now, did you do it on the ground or did you do it up in the air? Air? Air. Now that is scary. (laughs) That is scary. You climb a little ladder to a platform off of a tree. You walk to the end of the platform with your back towards your group. You cross your arms, your chest, stay stiff. You look behind you, make sure your group is still there. And they should be prepared, right? They should be locking arms across from one another and ready to catch you. You scoot back to the edge. And, right, you don't just fall off the edge. <laughs> right, you look behind again, make sure your group is there, in position to catch you. Then you yell, falling. You wait for the response, fall away. And then you fall backwards, and hopefully they catch you. <laughs> Most of the time they do. Um, <laughs> A couple of lawsuits about that, actually. No, it's joking. <laughs> they shut that down, that element down pretty quick. Um, no, but, but if you act foolishly and fall without making sure your group is ready, you're going to get hurt. Right? You can trust God all you want, and he could choose to miraculously save you. But more than that, more, more than likely, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. And wisdom would say you can trust that God created gravity, and you're going to fall. (laughs) Now, you have to act wisely, right? Now, it wouldn't be wise if I had a group of eight-year-olds to say I'm a counselor and my eight-year-olds are there and I say, okay, guys, I'm going to go up here and you're going to catch me, (laughs) right? That's 
probably, yeah, I'm probably going to hurt them, hurt myself, <laughs> right? You have to know who it is that is catching you and if they are ready. Praise God we can know him through his Bible and the Holy Spirit. And he is always ready to hear from us. He's always ready to catch us, if you will. And we can always lean into Christ. Thank you, Mom. That was my mom, right? Okay. She did that really well. <laughs> Sounded just like, Pat, just like your mom, actually, Pastor Ryan. <laughs> now, I, I've been having fun talking about camp activities, which are really not that scary, right? Yeah, there may be some anxiety involved, uh, but you can always choose to sit out. I mean, camp staff, they don't like that very much, but you can, right? But you can't sit out life, right? Life happens sometimes, right? Most of the time when we are in real life situations that are truly scary, we don't know how or when it will end or why it is happening. But the cool thing is God does. God does. And he has a plan and a purpose, even though we don't always see it. He is in control. Now I have a question for you. What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you are afraid? Now, some of you guys may be thinking to yourselves, well, I'm not afraid of anything. (laughs) Yes, yes, you are. (laughs) You might just handle it differently than, let's say, women do, right? Generally, generally speaking, right? Us guys typically stuff any fear deep down and try to hide it. We try to hide it. We don't really want to talk about it. We don't want to admit that it's even there. Right? So we just kind of ignore it. Right? We may be afraid of not being able to provide for our families, so we work more. Some men may be really insecure um, and may be afraid of their wives, maybe cheating on them, so they become very controlling and or abusive. Further, some men may be afraid of failure, so they just become weak and passive. What do you men and women alike, do when you are afraid. What or who do you run to for help? How do you cope? And this is what I want to explore, how we as the people of God handle the fears that invade our daily lives. Do we freak out or do we faith out? Do we have faith and believe in a God who is amazing, who is present, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, and is with us. And today, we will learn about a king from the Old Testament, a king we rarely talk about. And this narrative will show us through the life of this king what the answer is to that question. What do we do when you are afraid? Before we do, let's pray. Father in heaven, how great you are, like we sang this morning. How majestic is your name. How great you are, Lord. Thank you that you are omnipotent. You are all-powerful. Thank you that you are omniscient. You are all-knowing, God. You are in control. We thank you that you are with us through every season, however long or short that is. God, that we can praise you in in times of confusion or hurt. We can turn our hearts and, and praise you. And as Danny was praying this morning, God, that we, can, we should, and right, rightfully so, praise you when things are going well. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word does not return to you void. God, holy, we pray that the Holy Spirit would just go before us as we continue this service. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have your Bibles uh, this morning, please turn to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. If you need a Bible, one of our ushers will be happy to bring you one, so please let them know. And if you need some help finding that book, we're not there too often, um, go towards the middle of your Bible, to the book of Psalms, hang a left, go about five chapters, and you will hit Second Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 20. Chapter 20. And we'll be focusing on a little narrative about this king, na- king named Jehoshaphat. Uh, the book of Second Chronicles uh, covers the same historical period as First and Second Kings, but what is interesting about it is that it is, has a little of a different focus than First and Second Kings. It really focuses on the southern kingdom of Judah. I'm not sure if, if George is here this morning. George is our history buff. I don't see him, um, but George loves history. History is his thing, and. Growing up, it wasn't my thing. <laughs> my thing was lunch and recess and that and it's not even subjects. <laughs> That's what I was about. Not about that anymore, though. I'm about the Word of God and its transforming power, right? And history plays a huge role when we're learning and understanding the Scripture, right? So let's talk about, I mentioned the, the southern kingdom And so this nation of Israel was divided. I want to talk about that here for a moment. Now, after King David died, his son Solomon ruled a united nation, right? The nation of Israel. And when Solomon died, Solomon's son Rehoboam was set to rule in his place. Rehoboam, however, rejected the advice of his elders who told him to lighten the burden on the people of Israel, Instead of lightening the load, he listened to the counsel of the young men who had grown up with him and promised the people that instead of lightening the load, he was going to add to the yoke of his father, becoming more and more stringent upon them. And isn't it just like man to reject the wisdom of his elders in favor of his own peers, um, which was a bad life choice. Rehoboam ended up having to flee for his life to the south And he became the king of the people of Judah and Benjamin. Per God's plan, Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, actually became the king of the the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Thus, Israel's divided kingdom was established. Israel's kings in the north were consistently evil, just filled with a lot of idol worship. And they were taken captive by Assyria around 722 B.C., the kings of Judah, in contrast, they, they were generally good for a, you know, for a time. They had some good, they had some eh, not so good um, choices. Um, but then they would later face judgment by means of a Babylonian takeover around 586 BC. Now we do that little history lesson, which brings us to the person that I want to talk about this morning, King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was King David's great, great, great grandson. He ruled the southern kingdom of Judah from about 873 B.C. to 848 B.C. And 2 Chronicles 17, 3 through 4, actually tells us that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. 
that he sought the God of his father, that he walked in God's commandments, unlike the practices of Israel to the north. However, at the beginning of Second Chronicles, we learn that Jehoshaphat, even though the Lord was with him, was not perfect. Imagine that, right? God was not pleased with Jehoshaphat because he had aligned himself with the evil king Ahab and Ahab's son, who were the kings of Israel to the north. See, Ahab, instead of building a temple to the Lord God in Samaria, King Ahab built a temple, an altar for the Canaanite fertility god Baal. Not only that, he married, you might be familiar with Jezebel. Jezebel, a priestess of Baal. Jezebel was the mastermind behind the murder of Naboth um, because Naboth wouldn't sell Ahab his vineyard. Both Ahab and Jezebel opposed the prophets of God. In 1 Kings uh, 16.33, it says that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Sadly, Jehoshaphat didn't mind being associated with these people. Now, despite this foolish alignment, God was with King Jehoshaphat, and overall, Jehoshaphat led his people well and with courage. And aren't you glad when we really think about that? Aren't you glad that even though we're not perfect because of God's mercy, he can still use us for his glory, right? To bring glory to his name and thank God for his mercies that are new every morning. And let's get to our text. We'll start in verse one. Reads, after this, after the reforms Jehoshaphat had put in place for the nation, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, came upon, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. A little bit more history, let's unpack this just a little bit. The Moabites and Ammonites were Lot's and Esau's descendants who had come against Judah for battle. You remember Lot, Abraham's nephew, who had the wife um, that got turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back at the city of Sodom when instructed not to. Then there was Esau, the Ammonites, right? Esau was Jacob's hairy brother. Yeah, that's what I mean, the red and hairy with Esau, the name meant. And I was actually Esau for Halloween one time. I know you guys are like, what? I once had hair. And my arms, if you want to check them out later, I have, I have hairy arms and legs. I was Esau for Halloween. People had no idea. And I uh, got to share the Bible with them a little bit. Um, so I was Esau for Halloween. Um, Esau, if you remember, he sold his birthright for some food. <laughs> I was wondering if that food needed salt because there was a pillar of salt where I can point them to, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that pillar of salt <laughs> that Lot's wife was turned to, never mind. Okay. It was good food. I'm sure probably didn't need any salt. Now... What did Jehoshaphat do upon hearing this news, right? The news that this massive army was coming against Judah for battle. Did he call any of his neighbors, right? Call me on the cell, right? Did he call the troops for battle? Did he go hide in a cave? 
Did he consult empty idols like the neighboring nations around him would have done? Let's check this out. Verse three. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And I love that Ezra, the presumed author of this book, um, per Jewish tradition and scholars, Ezra was this author. He shares this detail with us that Jehoshaphat was afraid. Hmm. Yeah. That seems like the right emotional response to this situation. I think I would have been a little afraid too. How about you? Could you imagine being in that position? This was not just a handful of teenagers coming to challenge you to a game of dodgeball. He was informed that this great multitude was coming against him. You couldn't count the number of fighting men if you tried. What would you do? What did Jehoshaphat do? Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And I love this phrase, set his face to seek the Lord. The ESV uh, takes the Hebrew word panim and translates it as face. He set his face to seek the Lord. And it carries the idea of turning towards something. But I really like the New American Standard Bible, which translates the same Hebrew word as attention. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. If you have kids, you want to get their attention, and you can tell that they're not giving you your attention, what do you say? Eyes. Johnny, eyes, look at me, right? Look at me. Give me your eyes. Turn towards me. Turn your face towards me. I want to see you. Jehoshaphat was turning his attention, his face to his authority. The Almighty God, all of our authority is the Almighty God. Oh, hey, God, you you got me attention with this uh, army here. What what are we going to do about this? Right? And all the cities of Judah came to seek help. From the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat prays, verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the nations, the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house." And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, 
but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat says, Lord God, you rule. God, you rule. You are in charge of the nations. You are strong and powerful. No one can withstand you, God. We have committed this place to you, God. We can cry out to you in this place and hear you and you will save. Well, we have this great army approaching and we don't know what to do. And the closing of this prayer, isn't that beautiful? We are powerless. We are powerless against this great horde, right? this horde, this large group of people that are coming against us. In the moments when we feel like the entire world is against us, we have to understand we need to run to our strong tower as we are not strong enough. We need to take refuge in the shelter of the Almighty. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And as David says in, in Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I will trust. I will trust in you. If you keep Second Chronicles bookmarked, we'll, we'll come back here in a moment, but I do want us, want us to turn to Matthew chapter 14, and we'll be um, starting in verse 22. It's a very familiar story to many of you, but I want us to see uh, a connection here. This is just after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. When Peter saw this massive storm around him, some doubt crept in. He looked at his present situation instead of focus, focusing entirely on the one who was sovereign over the storm. Peter was afraid and began to sink on his way to certain death, but he cried out to the Lord who saved him. When they returned to the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped Jesus for they knew who he was. Jehoshaphat heard of the invading army and he was afraid and he began to pray. Jehoshaphat knew who his God was. 
He knew who was in charge of all nations and of all things. He knew how powerful and mighty God was and is. He knew the history of God's chosen people and the acts of the Almighty on their behalf. This was all encapsulated in Jehoshaphat's prayer. I imagine Jehoshaphat coming to the Lord in prayer, knowing how God delivered Judah while his grandpa and his own dad were leading the nation. In 2 Chronicles 13, we read how Jehoshaphat's grandfather, King Abijah, faced great danger. Jeroboam and the northern kingdom surrounded him in battle with no way out. The battle line, you know, it's usually battle line, the front. This battle line was to the front and to the rear, surrounded. This was not good, obviously. Judah cried out to the Lord, and it happened that God struck down Jeroboam and all Israel. There was also a time when Jehoshaphat's dad, King Asa, had over 1 million Ethiopians, along with 300 of their chariots, coming against Judah for battle. Judah did not have that many fighting men. What does Asa do? He cries out to the Lord. And the Lord struck the Ethiopians and they were overthrown. This we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. This was all God's response to his people crying out to him, acknowledging that they were unable to be victorious without his help. This was God fighting for his covenant people. At one point or another, many of us have probably had an army of fear, an army of doubt surrounding us to the front and to the rear. Some may be feeling that now. Feels like you're being attacked. Stand firm in God and who he is. Stand firm with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Trust in his promises and his sovereignty. Allow him to fight your battles for you. Set your own face to seek help from the Lord and cry out to him. He's there. He's there. He's with you. Let's take a look at God's response to Jehoshaphat's prayer. Back in Second Chronicles 20, starting in verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, listen up. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. 
I love how the families are here together. I love this detail that we get here. Seeking the Lord together, showing their children what it looks like to seek the Lord when a challenging situation arises. Modeling prayer and a dependence on the Almighty. And Jehaziel tells the people, do not be afraid. Tomorrow, go against them, but you're not going to have to fight. Hold your position. Um, that sound like the best military strategy. <laughs> That'd be hard for me to get around that, that battle cry, right? All right, here's what we're going to do. And my word, we're going to go out there and we're going to do Nothing. We're going to stand there and do nothing. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. (laughs) But when God tells you to do that, (laughs) you do that. He says, go out there, right? Go against them. God's going to fight for you. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm and hold your position. God's got a plan. It's comforting to know that God has a plan. That we serve a sovereign God, a God who is in control of all things. A God who is not surprised by your circumstance. There's a book uh, written by Pastor Jim Andrews. And Pastor Jim was going through some very difficult circumstances. This book was entitled, Polishing God's Monuments. And Pastor Jim shares how he has managed his faith while caring for his incredibly sick adult daughter. To my understanding, actually, after 20 years, she is still dealing with various illnesses, which has prevented her from living a normal life. And Pastor Jim's writing these letters to his church and giving them, giving them updates on kind of what's going on. And in between those chapters, he's uh, just encouraging folks from the word of God. And he writes this, In our trials and troubles, self-made or providentially inflicted, we take comfort in the conviction that from eternity, God's plan was settled in heaven to the last critical detail, and the whole human experience was all present to the mind of God. In his infinite knowledge and inscrutable wisdom, he superintends and correlates every element of his plan perfectly and flawlessly to ensure that his purposes for us prevail. And in his epilogue, he writes, through all of this, they have never lost faith in the end of the story. Remember when you are facing your battles, God may have a different plan than yours. Doesn't mean that he's not strong enough or doesn't care, or is ignoring your plea. Our job is to remain faithful, to rest in him, and to trust him through it. And as Christians, we know the end of the story. Amen? The end of the story is redemption. Redemption. Pastor Jim kept trusting that God had a plan, and his plan was good. And you know what? We, We can trust that God's plan is good, too. Even when it's hard. We know Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we, we hear God's response. And what does Jehoshaphat do 
next. Verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Here's his battle cry. (laughs) Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in a holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So after God responds to Jehoshaphat, we see how Jehoshaphat reacted to the answer of prayer. He acted and reacted with humility. He bowed his head with his face to the ground. He is understanding how great and mighty God is and how powerless we are. Again, understanding who the sovereign one is here, and it wasn't him. He reacted with worship. Right? We see everyone falling down and worshiping the Lord. We see the Levite clans of Koah and Korah singing out loud praise. What is going on here? Is this a worship service in the middle of battle? What great faith. They're just there singing, singing to the Lord. And he reacted with instruction to his people, right? Believe, believe, believe in the Lord and you will be established. Trust in his promises. We have a real situation here. I know in this moment it's hard, but just believe. And this is not a call to the prosperity gospel that just believe enough and you'll get health, wealth, and happiness. Right? It's not what this is. Right? This is a call to trust in the promises of God and who God is. Verse 22. And when they began to sing praise, what did the Lord do? The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Mount Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. They all helped to destroy one another. They all turned against themselves. They were going there to take over Judah. Nope. And how, how amazing is this, right? To steal one of Pastor Lion's famous, Pastor, Ryan, Pastor Lion, you're a lion now, apparently. You got the maid, so I guess you're a lion. No, he's not our lion. Our lion is of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. Okay, Ryan, Pastor Ryan tells us all the time, this really happened. This actually happened. Deliverance occurred for God's people as they turned to God and sang praises to him, right? The battle, that was the Lord's. It was the Lord's and the Lord turned they're enemies against, the, against each other. Amazing. Amazing. And if you finish reading the chapter, you will find that God gave his people the spoil from that battle. 
The word actually says there is so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. People didn't do anything to deserve all that plunder. God did everything. We saw it right here. You know what that is called? Grace. Sounds like a familiar story for us who are Christians. Jesus did everything. We have this massive struggle against sin, but praise God, we have victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus has fought and won the battle against sin for us by dying on a cross, yet he himself was without any sin because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become right with God. Jesus resurrected on the third day, proving victory over the grave, securing our salvation. It is finished. He has won. Satan bruised his heel, but Jesus will crush his head. He gives us eternal life with all the blessings of heaven, even though we did nothing. We didn't earn anything, and we should not have to. We don't earn our way, right? Jesus earned it for us. We did nothing to deserve it. You know what that's called? Grace. That's grace. The only thing we deserve is death and judgment. We've turned against God. We've rebelled against his holy standards with all of our lies, pride, and lust for the flesh. And we deserve death. I deserve death. I deserve to be separated from God. That's what I deserve. Instead of that, by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus, I receive grace. I receive all the blessings of heaven. Because of the work of Christ, we can boldly approach the throne of grace in time of need and receive help. Because of the work of Christ, we can courageously face whatever comes our way because we know who our God is and who our hope is in and what is our ultimate future, a home in glory. We can trust him. We can trust him. He's proven himself true. If you think back on your lives, you know that. You can trust him. What is this trust? What do we do? How do we do this? Right? We live out this trust by daily surrendering to the will of God, by thinking and praying biblically, by encouraging one another from God's word, by bearing each other's burdens and spurring each other on to love and good deeds, by patiently waiting on the Lord and his timing for deliverance, whatever that deliverance looks like. Remembering that God is God and his answer may not be what we think is best. But when fear strikes and we start you know, to get afraid, right? The situations that we encounter, that happens. We are in the flesh still. We can become afraid. I'm not trying to condemn anybody who's like, oh, should I not ever be afraid? No, those feelings are real. There is hard stuff that you may be going through. But when fear strikes, we can confidently say, God, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And we can say this because we know that he is sovereign, that we can trust his word and know that he will be with us. Let me leave you with this. When you are afraid, who or what do you run to? Does your response to fear model Jehoshaphat's? Are you even recognizing that there's fear there? Are you just trying to hide and stuff it all down? 
Jehoshaphat immediately set his face to seek the Lord with prayer. If we're not doing this, why not? Are you trusting in God or in yourself and your own ability? Right? Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in yourself and your own ability? I know for me it's a struggle, and I, I don't know your current situation. I don't know what you're going through. Right? To some of you, the idea of being scared or afraid of something at this point in your life is just so foreign. But maybe for some of you, it's hitting a little closer to home. Either way, I, I pray you have been encouraged by Jehoshaphat's story and his reliance on the Lord. And I pray you move forward day by day in wisdom from the word, in faith, in who God is, right? Our Savior. He is our Savior in leaving the results to him, right? For he is good. He is good. He is good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to let you be in control. <laughs> we want to be the sovereign ones sometimes, God. I, I pray, Father, that we would humble ourselves and allow you to lift us up. God, that we would humble ourselves and we would pray that we would cry out to you knowing that our only hope is you. God, through every season, every day, every hour, every minute, every second, that we would orient our hearts towards you. We thank you for grace, the grace that we don't deserve. We thank you for Jesus who took all of our sin upon himself. That he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And God, you know what? You know what's scary to come before you without our sins forgiven. Judgment. Lord, for those who don't know that, I pray that you would impress that on their hearts. They would turn to you. They repent of sin and cry out to you for deliverance, for a saving faith that is real. And God, for those of us who are already in the faith, in faith in you, Jesus, I pray that you would encourage our hearts knowing that you have a plan and that you are with us. We lift this all up in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, who was and is and is to come. Our future redemption awaits. Let us trust you. Amen.